All right, how we doing, everybody? I'm your host, Will Reddington, and welcome to another episode of Red Talk. Austin Bickett is here, and it is time for the NBA Conference Finals. We're going to talk Hawks-Bucks Game 1, and then we're staying up late to talk Suns-Clippers Game 3. We're also going to talk about the NBA Draft Lottery and how that shaked out in Austin's favor. And then, of course, I'm joined by Lexi Browning for Bachelor Red Talk. We're going to tell you why we don't hate Thomas. Our show is brought to you by Thrive Fantasy Sports. Use promo code RED with two Ds for a $20 deposit bonus on any deposit, $20 or more. All right, let's get it going. Right, A.B., Austin Bickett, Red Talk, we are back, and the conference finals are in full swing. We have the NBA's version of the Final Four, and it's not who you would have thought. There's no Steph Curry, no LeBron, no Kevin Durant, no James Harden. We got this wild alignment of teams, teams that haven't won the championship since, what, like 1976? Is that the most recent champion we have? Uh, yeah, a lot of teams that um, either haven't won it in 40 years or haven't won it at all. So um, it's definitely nice to see. I know a lot of people want to see LeBron, KD, and all those guys. But I personally like to see a little um, little parody in the league. It's nice for just to switch things up every once in a while, not the same LeBron or the Warriors or whatever else we've been seeing the last 10 years. So, you know, I, I really think that any of the four teams have the talent to. I mean, the Clippers are kind of stacked against the wall right now, especially without Kawhi. But uh, yeah, this is the first time in a while that you really don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, and the quality of game is what has become so impressive. Like, I think that's the biggest thing in this rating spike that the NBA's had, which has been a positive rating spike. But each game is just infused with so much drama and so many storylines. It's been so fun to watch. They've all been so exciting. You don't know how they're going to go. And... Hawks Bucks game one the Hawks just keep doing it the Hawks win their third straight game one and in each series that the Hawks have played so far including this one they are the better shooting team I think by a significant margin when you look at the Knicks Sixers and the Bucks but in each of these matchups the other team has been way bigger and stronger than the Hawks and I think that you're seeing this like new way of playing basketball really benefit the Hawks but Trey Young, the ultimate villain, what he end up having like forty-seven points, career high, playoffs and regular season. Yeah, uh, he's going crazy. I think we all kind of knew that like the the Trey Young like was coming, and that this legacy was going to be like eventually cemented. But uh, it's getting here a lot quicker than myself and a lot of people thought. Um, I think Scott Van Pelt said it the best way that I've been looking at it. Um, the Hawks are just playing with an unreal amount of confidence. I mean, you see. Trey Young shimmying after crossing somebody over in the middle of a play. And the Bucks, we talked about it before the series started, that them and the Sixers are kind of similar in the way that when the game gets tight late in the game, they kind of like just tense up a little bit. And the the Hawks could not be more opposite. They shoot like every shot is going to go in, and that's how you have to play this time of year. So the Hawks definitely aren't the most talented team. But, I mean, when you play with confidence, that takes you to a whole other level, and they have probably the most of that that's left, I would say. I mean, the Suns are rolling too, but – yeah, uh, I definitely didn't expect the Hawks to 
be in this series or be up 1-0. I don't think a lot of people did. But now it's like I, I feel like this is a 50-50 series. Yeah, I do too. And I think what makes the Hawks so capable of winning all these games is everybody that's on the floor for them does something. They're all capable of scoring. Even Capella, who cannot score when he's more than four feet away from the basket, is in the right place to receive these epic passes from Trey Young to dunk the ball. And then when you look at the rest of their guys, John Collins was absolutely incredible last night, not just catching dunks off the backboard, but I think he only missed four shots. He made like 11 of them. He was hitting threes. He was doing the little things on defense, getting a ton of offensive rebounds. And then Kevin Herter, Bogdanovic, they both just bury three balls and can kind of create their own shot. And then you have Trey Young, a generational point guard. And the Bucks they almost always have two people on the floor that can't score. Brooke Lopez is kind of lost in this series. He's a perimeter big man, and Capella is not a great matchup for him. And Pat Connaughton, he played 28 minutes. He had four points. He went one of six from the field, 0 of four from three, including a horrendous air ball. And yep. it's just so odd that the Bucks still can't find their guys. That's, I saw that uh, Impractical Jokers meme where they were like, Bud, put Jeff Teague in now. That's <laughs> it, hilarious. And, and Bryn Forbes, who I actually kind of like, a good shooter. He's playing 12 minutes a game. They're back to Bobby Portis, who barely played against the Nets. You know you're going to have Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis out there. Giannis and Holiday played really good games, but both shot the ball 25 times. It's a true big three, and the Hawks can get it from everywhere, and I think it gives the Hawks the advantage going forward. I don't want to sound like a broken record because I've said it before, but the Bucks' offense goes as Middleton goes. Giannis is going to put up about the same numbers every single game. It's just you're not going to stop him. And Middleton had a game one. He went 6 of 23 and 0 of 9 from three. That's just not going to get it done. Uh, I guess that's kind of a good sign for the Bucks because they still had a good chance to win and only lost by three, getting that from their second best player. So uh, I hope when he goes out there and rocks that USA jersey this summer, he does a little better than that. But, I mean, Middleton's going to have to be the all-star that he has been in the past for the uh, not only for the Bucks to get past the Hawks, but if they if they want to be serious title contenders. Right. I, that's very well said. And I, I think that that is the key when you look at this game, honestly. Like, I love what the Hawks are doing. I think the Hawks are completely fearless and they can definitely win this series. But I don't have to look for this stat to tell you that any game this year that Middleton played in and missed every three pointer he shot, the Bucks probably lost that game. And when you look at it, if Middleton makes one of those threes, goes one of nine, they're going to overtime. It's as simple as that. And still at the end of the game with Middleton, ice cold, they're coming out of a timeout. They need a three, and you know exactly what's going to happen because we've been watching it for years with the Bucs. Giannis is the best player, but Middleton's going to be the one that takes the big shot because he's the one that can score from more than 18 feet away. I don't really know what to expect. I would definitely assume that the Bucs are going to win game two. They have um, to. But any, anything can happen. The Hawks have been great at home, regular season and playoffs. This is a really intriguing series. We're going to record on Suns Clippers game three later tonight after it ends. But uh, in the middle of this draft lottery, the Detroit Pistons are picking number one overall. And I know you're really excited. That's your team. So, you know, go off. I didn't expect this. I, I, you know, I kept up with the tank all year, but I never actually thought it would happen. We've been cursed since the uh, Darko Milicic days, which is no one's fault but our own. So I really didn't think this would happen. Um, very excited. I know we're not going to 
win a lot of games next year, but the future is bright in Detroit. Um, they had the most one loss or the most one possession losses, the most losses under 10 points and stuff like that all year. This team is actually a lot closer to being competitive than people realize. They just had two people on the all rookie teams without even their top guy playing most of the year. So if Killian Hayes turns into anything, I think this team could be pretty good, but regardless, they're going to be fun to watch next year. And I'm just so glad to have hope for once. I can't wait to see Kate Cunningham in a Pistons Jersey. Yeah, I mean, Cade Cunningham is the perfect guy to get on a team like Detroit because he immediately comes in, and they do have a lot of good pieces. The one thing the Pistons have been missing, not only last year, but for a long time, is just a score, which is pretty important. a score that could create as well, a a, a point forward, as they call him. But, yeah, I think that uh, Cade Cunningham is going to land in Detroit, and then after that, we have the Rockets picking second. That was very important for them to land there. If they would have landed outside the top four, the Thunder would have gotten their pick and the Thunder would have added on to their million first round picks they have piled up. And then you have the Cavs who are kind of the odds. I've heard that it's going to be Cade Cunningham and it's going to be Mobley. And then after that, you're looking at Suggs or Jalen Green, Jalen Green from the G League. And then the Raptors get four. That's big for them. The Raptors already have some good pieces. And the biggest storyline of the draft outside of who got number one is uh, the Timberwolves losing their pick to the Golden State Warriors. If it would have fallen in the top three, which it had the odds to do so, they would have kept their pick. And instead, they get no pick. It fell at seven. So Golden State will actually actually draft seventh and 14th. They can add a couple good players. They can use that as a trade package for somebody really good. Clay Thompson's back on the court. He's running around. And I'm not just talking about Space Jam. He's actually moving again. So it, this was it's crazy when you look back on it because the Wolves lost their pick because they acquired D'Angelo Russell from the Warriors and they gave Wiggins back. And I think Golden State fans, they probably don't love Wiggins, but they're happy he's there, especially with what they had last year. So this is, uh, it's it's very, very bad for the city of Minnesota. Yeah, it, it usually is when it comes to basketball. Um, outside the Pistons, I mean, you got to say the Warriors won the lottery. The, they're so close and their, their window is not like incredibly small. Clay and Steph aren't like that old or anything, but I think they should package it together and go get somebody. I don't know who that player is. I don't know who really all is going to become available over the summer. But, uh, I mean, rookies at 7 and 14, those are guys that usually tend to take a few years to develop. So I I think they should at least send one of those out somewhere. I don't really know who all is going to be available. I've seen a lot of Ben Simmons to Golden State rumors, but he's definitely not worth seven right now. Yeah. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the Warriors do because it's not – once Clay comes back, it's not like they're that far off from competing. I mean, they made the play-in game this year with – Clay missing the whole year and Curry missing some time. So, yeah, but I'm excited. I can't wait for the draft now, even though the drama is all out of it for me for the first time. I don't have to look at 150 mock drafts, so that's cool. But, yeah, great, great moment for me. Probably the best moment as a Pistons fan in the last 10 years. I'm I'm happy for you, man. You earned that. You tweeted every single time they were playing that you wanted them to lose. That takes a lot of courage from a fan, and it actually paid off. It's so weird that things work that way. But last thing before we uh, go watch the Suns and the Clippers, and then we'll talk about that after, is my wacky trade idea for the Warriors 7 and 14. I think that they could package those two picks and maybe add Wiggins as well after the season and get Kawhi Leonard. We know Kawhi Leonard loves living in California. I don't think he's loved how things are going with the Clippers. If they lose this series and Kawhi doesn't play another game, he is going to be available after this he's season. A, he's a free agent, isn't he? 
a sign and trade type deal, I, I think looks good there. That, that's like Kawhi. Everybody's been saying Miami and Philadelphia, and there's all kinds of places where Kawhi would go and just thrive immediately because he's Kawhi Leonard. But he loves living in California. That's his thing. He went to San Diego State. He wants to be in California and Golden State. San Francisco, they're in California. So I, I just think it kind of works. I could see that big three forming there. That would be so unfair if they had KD for three years, and then they lose him for a year, and then they get Kawhi. Just not fair. It would. That's that's uh, that's my best idea in terms of a trade package, though, a little sign-and-trade type deal with the Clippers. But we'll see. I, um, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am happy for you that the Pistons won the lottery. All right, let's go, Suns. Let's rally the Valley. I'll see you back here in two and a half hours. All right. So we did not rally the Valley. Game three goes to the Los Angeles Clippers. And I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like the ending. The Clippers have now gone down 0-2 three straight times, and they won the other two series. And tonight, they look like they're more than capable of doing it a third time. Clippers win. What'd you think? I didn't really think the Clippers played that well of a game. Um, Booker clearly looked frustrated with his mask. The worst game he's had of the playoffs by far. Um, Chris Paul looked like he had a little rust after sitting out for about a week and a half. So uh, there was a point in the second quarter where they combined for like four points and like one of 14 from the field and the Suns were still up too. So I thought that the Suns might get it done because their two stars were not playing good and they were still winning somehow. But um Credit to the Clippers. They, I mean, they had to win this game, and they did for the third series in a row. They've been down 0-2 and bounced back. So it makes the game on Saturday a lot more interesting. And we got a series, it looks like. Yeah, and I, I think we all figured it would go this way. You you touched on how the 76ers collapsed against the Hawks, and you know, it can go one of two ways. They can fight back or they can lay down. And the Clippers lost about as devastating of a game as you could lose in game two and i'm so bummed out that we didn't just record after that because i had all these sweet titles for the episode you know deandre 3000 the value i was so excited and now i don't know what to name this part because the clippers won and for it to go that way for paul george to make every single play down the stretch of game two and then to miss those free throws and kind of become the laughing stock once again it would have been very easy for the Clippers to fold, especially when the Suns get Chris Paul back and Kawhi Leonard is sitting nowhere near the bench up there with his family. Looks like he could care less. They did fight back, though. Paul George, very good tonight. I mean, he he missed a ton of shots. He had six turnovers, but he ended with 27, 15, and 8. That's pretty impressive. And Mr. June, Reggie Jackson, once again, the man finds a way. Best player maybe in NBA history. I mean, I cannot believe this that he is doing. It is unbelievable. Every time the Clippers go on like a dry spell, we're like, oh my God, here come the Suns. He just hits a step back three in somebody's mouth or he goes to the rim and gets a layup with ease. Like, it's disgusting, to be honest. He's got his goggles on. He's a new man. Mr. June, it'll be interesting to see if the Clippers make the finals and the calendar flips to July if he just goes back to being a average NBA point guard. Wow, people aren't talking about that. Oh, he's, he's Mr. June. He's not Mr. July or yeah. August, September, October, November. So far, he might be Mr. Summer, though. I mean, he he is 
insane out there. He, his shooting percentage was incredible tonight. Like Paul George, he missed a lot of shots. Reggie Jackson did not. He was nine of 17 from the field. Uh, the Clippers played Terrence Mann a lot more tonight than they had been doing. And, you know, Luke Kennard makes a couple shots. I agree with you. I didn't think the Clippers played all that great. Chris Paul returns. There was definitely a little bit of rust. Booker looked uncomfortable with the mask. They go 10 of 40 combined. And that is the glaring reason why the Suns lost this game. DeAndre Ayton played a pretty standard DeAndre Ayton game. He was fantastic. 18 and 9. Mikhail Bridges had 13. I think he only had 5 in game 2. Cam Johnson still played well. 12 points. Chris Paul and Devin Booker have to be better. And when you look at like the guards, like they, they should be having a field day with this Clippers team. Like I mean, Zubac is their rim defender. I feel like defensively, the Clippers are are worse than the two teams the Suns have played going into this series. But it didn't look like that tonight. They hold the Suns to 92. Very impressive. Yeah, I mean, you don't expect Booker or Chris Paul to ever play like that and definitely not play like that back to back. So I'm sure they'll have an answer for everybody on Saturday night. But uh, like you said, good for Paul George to bounce back off those two missed free throws, come out, have a pretty good game, and uh, get the series back to within striking distance. Um, I mean, obviously, Saturday is the biggest game of the series, 3-1 and 2-2, two completely different things. So uh, we'll see how it goes. But I mean, if Mr. June is going to keep balling out there, I mean, this Clippers team, could they could pull it off. They could. I would expect Chris Paul and Devin Booker to play much better for the rest of the series. And realistically, if you look at tonight, I mean, if Chris Paul does his game four Nuggets thing, which we couldn't have expected tonight after some time off, but if you get 37 from Chris, the Suns are winning. If Devin Booker puts up 30 plus, the Suns are probably winning. But Paul George is more than capable of being the best player on the floor with these two teams. I think he was minus 150 tonight to be the leading scorer in the game. And he's extremely talented. And it's just, it's funny looking back at that Sixers comparison, because you would think Paul George would be like the perfect guy because of his reputation to like completely fold after choking in a big moment like that. And he didn't look afraid at all tonight. He hit one of his vintage Paul George half court shots from downtown. I, I love Paul George. I, Chris Paul, again, top of the list of celebrities that don't know me and don't care about me that I would get shot for. But Paul George uh, went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. And when you look at those Pacers rosters and what they were competing with in terms of LeBron's Miami Heat teams, they weren't even close talent-wise. And Paul George was taking them to the very bitter end every single series. I, I'm a Paul George fan. I, I didn't want – when when the value happened – I can't lie. I like cried a little bit, not because, you know, it took 33 minutes to end the game when like there was 50 seconds left, but cried a little bit because I was happy for DeAndre 3008 and it guys incredible. Love the Suns, love the Valley, love the Suns and four guy. It's not going to come to fruition again, but I was really crying because like Paul George, you don't want to see him go out like that. I would have rather seen a three force overtime that literally hurt me. So I'm not that upset. The Clippers don't quit. Yeah, I'm not upset either. I mean, obviously cheering for the Suns. I think pretty much at this point, unless you have a rooting interest, I think most people are on the Suns bandwagon. But I mean, I, I'm I want to see as much meaningful basketball as possible. So, not not mad at this series getting extended out. Uh, wouldn't be mad if Clippers won Game Four too, tied it all up, going back to the Valley. But I think the Suns still find a way to get it done. Uh, I just think with I don't see Kawhi coming back. Like you said, he's sitting in the nosebleeds tonight. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing. But uh, right. it, it doesn't seem like he's even close to being back. So at this point, it is going to be Paul George, Terrence Mann, and Mr. June, which on some nights is enough. But 
I'll take um, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Aiden in the long run. Yeah, I will too. I think the Suns still win the series. I do think it goes to six or seven. And that, that about wraps it up. We'll see what happens. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights got eliminated tonight. I'm not happy. Not happy about that. But free Friday lock for all the people out there. The Tampa Bay Lightning, minus 150 tomorrow. The Lightning and the Thunder. This team won game five, eight to nothing. I couldn't believe it. I thought my score app was glitching. It does it all the time. It told me the Vanderbilt baseball game last night ended in a 5-5 draw. Couldn't happen like that. Turns out they lost. It was bad for me. But I love the Lightning. They lost game six in overtime to the Islanders. They feel like a team full of magic. The magic ends in Tampa Bay tomorrow. So game seven, hockey tomorrow. It's very exciting. And uh, Hawks, Bucks, game two tomorrow. It's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, really good sports weekend coming up. I don't know if you watch any of this Euro tournament, but knockout stages start Saturday. I'm hyped for it. Um, Olympics coming up in like a month, so we should be we should be good until football season starts in 11 weeks from tonight. We're almost there. I saw your tweet. That is so awesome. I can't wait to be in Roosters with all the guys laughing, crying, singing, feeling all the emotions within the 1 to 425 time window. I have been watching the Euro 2020. got canceled, so they kept the name. Uh, I'm a working man, so I, I can't watch a ton of it, but I've been tuning in, watching the highlights. In terms of who wins that bad boy, I got no clue. I feel like it's very, very tough. Like I feel like Spain, France, Germany, like they're all not playing that good. No, they're not. France has really kind of disappointed. They were the favorite coming in and still are the betting favorite. But um, that last that game against Portugal was just sloppy. There was four goals and three of them were scored on PKs. So I don't know. I'm excited. Hopefully we get some uh, some PKs, some stoppage time heroes, uh, anything, any big tournament, any sport that matters. I'm going to be locked in. So great slate on Saturday and also rolling over to Sunday. And I'm excited. It feels like, um, I mean, sports are back, but it feels like we haven't had a big weekend like that we don't get we haven't got a lot of these lately so looking forward to it i swear maybe we can go to scooter triple b's on yeah. south hurstburn parkway pretty great place <laughs> don't check it out though because we're the only people that go and we like our privacy uh i like italy to win euro 2020 i forgot italy has been fantastic love siri ah all year as well got a lot of studs out there so let's go italy let's go sons let's figure it out congrats to paul george good guy pg13 not for kids we're up late austin that does it for this week do you have anything else you want to add uh belgium plus 800 to win it all that's my pick okay lukaku i'm not mad at it kevin yeah, de bruyne playing he, yeah. he's doing better with the the facial uh dismemberment than uh devin booker is Facts. That was. Uh, I. I don't think he'll be wearing that mask in Game Four, or he'll definitely be wearing a. Got to just mask. risk it. You got to yeah. let it ride. I mean, those guys that are the best athletes in the world—they're so superstitious and so used to a certain routine. Like, I'm sure it is different. I'm sure he got a bunch of shots up with that mask on the last two days. But once you get out there, if anything feels different, it's just—it's not going to work. So, I'm sure he'll either come out with no mask on or a smaller mask or some, something's got to change because that's the worst game he's had maybe all season. There you go, Devin Booker. We see the future. Mask off. All right. Lexi Browning, The Bachelor. All 
All right, Lexi Browning, Bachelor Red Talk, week three. We are back this week. The men band together in search of a common goal. Lexi, base thoughts. What did you think of this episode? I thought it was just another relatively okay episode. I thought there were a lot of really sweet moments in it, though. A lot of purity and wholesomeness. There was some purity and wholesomeness. Uh, there was some laughter. There was some mutiny. A lot going on here. I thought they packed a lot into the um, six hours or whatever, how long it takes to watch the show. But let's go ahead and get it started. So this week, in a pretty classic Bachelor fashion, a lot gets canceled these days, but nothing gets canceled more than a Bachelor series cocktail party. We're going straight to the rose ceremony. And Carl, Carl, our villain from last week, everybody's been wondering. We were left with a cliffhanger. What's going to happen to Carl? He's out there punching the air, literally and figuratively. When Mike, wow, yes. big episode for Mike's. When Mike accepts his rose, he tells Katie that the guys have basically voted Carl out of the house. The guys all nod. They concur. And I, I've never seen it before within this show. It, it kind of turns into uh Big brother for a second. It's your thing, right? Where they where contestants vote each other off. Is that am I correct? I f love Big Brother. But yeah, exactly. They're trying to just vote the next dude off the island, but that's not really how it works. Yeah, um, it's not how it works. And I loved the host's pushback here because Katie goes and uh talks to Caitlin and Tasha, and they're like, Hey, Katie, do whatever you want. It's not up to them because We've seen this before. The producers want and need Carl on this show. Carl is producer gold. He has to stick around. And Carl actually says when they get back there that the United States military is going to have to drag him out of there. I couldn't believe it. But Katie wasn't having it. The full football team of men that were there, they weren't having it. And he's gone. The National Guard did not have to come. No handshakes or hugs for Carl from anyone. Just calmly walks off into the night. Beautiful. Chef's kiss. I feel like this is another moment where Katie is just proving herself to be the best bachelorette of all time by cutting Carl right here and now. I stood up and cheered and I didn't even think the lead was like really allowed to be this good at character judgment. I thought like you had to keep the annoying guy around. That's just like a tale as old as time. It's I thought what well, we had to do, but no, Katie's just going to cut him. And it was spectacular. All the men are just clapping. I'm clapping. Good for you, Katie. I'd push back on that a little bit because Katie did say that she planned to keep Carl around. I think that all the credit here goes to the guys. A little bit to Katie for realizing, hey, I have to keep this house happy. I don't want the drama that existed within James's bachelor season in my house. So it was the right move for sure. But Katie was going to keep Carl around. And that that is just an astounding fact. I don't know what she could have seen from Carl. But this happens and the villain is gone, right? I mean, finally a season with no petty drama. One without a class clown. But not so fast, my friend. The episode still has over an hour left and it's group date time. A new show within the show, hosted by Bachelor Nation's own Nick Vile, The Trauma Circle. What'd you think? 
I absolutely loved this date. Going into it, I was pretty nervous. I was like, okay, we're just going to sit here and confess our sins. But once we get started, like right off the bat, we have Hunter who had literally no preparation time. But his play is to just say, you know what? I had my priorities a little bit out of whack and uh, my intentions were pure. I was just going to work too much and my relationship fell apart. I thought that was really good. He had some tears going. It was pretty, um, I don't know, he had a lot of heart. And then we go around each of the men who just go on about how like they've disappointed people in their past or hurt people in their past. All pretty standard. But then we get to Thomas. What'd you think about Thomas? So first, my thoughts on the trauma circle. I I thought that this was not a waste of time. I'd like to go on record saying that. Like this was a productive date. We actually learned some real things about these people, which oftentimes on group dates, we don't get that. But basically every guy kind of goes over the worst moments of their lives. And they all kind of try to one-up each other with uh, perpetual sorrow. And I just personally felt like it would have been more appropriate for these things to come up in one-on-ones with Katie later in the season when there's some sort of like foundation built, like a normal relationship. You know, if you're on like the third date, the second date with somebody, you're probably not diving into this stuff. You're probably talking more about like your job, you know, things like that, things you like to do. And they, they just dive right into it on this show. 30 minutes into week three, we're learning about every single one of these guys, their, their tragic past in, in some some way. It reminds me of like the, the NFL draft now. Like if a player gets drafted in the fourth round, they'll like tell you where he went to college and how he was there. And then they'll immediately tell you like the saddest thing that's ever happened to him right after. And I just, I just think it's a weird time for it. And I thought the same thing here. But Thomas, right, out of nowhere, what's crazy is Thomas didn't go first. If he would have went first, this would have been cool. But he listens to other guys go. And then he says that, he was considering his platform when he got here. He's an absolute moron. I mean, I think you would have been better off in this circle saying that you committed a murder than saying, yeah, I can't totally say I, I'm here for the right reasons or got here for the right reasons. It, it was absolutely baffling to me. Okay, yes. And I can see why the other men were like raising eyebrows at this because his tone just wasn't matching that of the other men. But that being said, I don't love what Thomas was saying, but I don't hate it either. I think it's still pretty honest. He was like, yeah, I went on a date two weeks before this, whatever. Like, that's pretty honest. Um, But I think what was missing was just like his overall demeanor. Like he had the dumbest smile on his face, which was just really inappropriate, I thought. And I mean, we're going to see that he's going to continue to have an issue just sort of like explaining himself in the right context throughout the rest of the episode. So he definitely did the worst on this date. And then we um, learn about Connor B, who has a pretty surprising past. He like has some alcohol and drug abuse and all in one night cheated on his, I don't know if it was his wife or his girlfriend, but anyway, it was his partner. And I thought that was pretty raw and honest. Again, a very bold thing to say on national television and to a woman that you're trying to, you know, marry right now. But 
I do think it says something that he's able to take accountability and really own that part of his life. Yeah, exactly. Everything you said about what Connor B said is completely accurate. Just me as a viewer at home, I'm thinking, is this your best move here? Is this really the story you want to tell? You don't have any any other trauma that happened to you. This is the one you're going to drop on this uh, woman that you're trying to win over. You've gotten a couple hours with her so far. I just thought it was surprising. And it does make it raw and honest because, I mean, that's not what she wants to hear. There's no way that sells her on you as a man. But I don't know. I don't know if it was the best move. But it, Thomas, is he's such a polarizing figure. Right. And uh, Aaron actually says at the end of the episode, you know, Carl was dumb. Thomas is smart. And I think it makes for a really intriguing villain on the show. We're going to touch on it more at the end because the house does the whole mutiny thing again. And this time it's against Thomas. But I could see people sitting at home that aren't consistent fans of the show kind of liking Thomas, kind of liking his uh, his honesty in the sense that he seems like. He's saying things that deep down a lot of these guys probably thought about before they got here. Yeah, exactly. And that's how I'm going to continue to feel for the rest of the episode, I think. But before we leave this group date, I just want to say that I feel like they should have this on every single season. I feel like we left the date feeling like we know so much more about these guys than we did before. And I think it helped them bond with each other. Like, I feel like this group of guys is maybe the best cast of men that we've had in a very long time. I know we really liked Tasha's men, and I feel like they did something sort of similar there, too, to where we were able to appreciate them. And I was thinking, like, man, it kind of sucks for the guys that aren't on this day. And I think Michael felt the same way because he's back at the mansion being like, wait, hold on, guys, circle up. I, I got something I want to share with you, too. And he's, like, confiding in the bros. It seems like they're all getting along really well. Like, there's not an odd guy out, so they have to look at Thomas and just, like, continue to single them out because for some reason they all think they're on Big Brother. Yes, yes, they do. They're very confused. And yeah, serious note on the trauma circle, Katie's monologue here on lack of consent uh, and her experience with sexual assault, watching how she is and how she carries herself, knowing that happened. I think it's very powerful. I thought she sent an amazing message as an influential woman and as the lead of this show. I mean, her own mom didn't even know that story. And I thought it took a lot of courage to put it out there in week three, in that circle, after listening to all that these guys had to share, one of the realest, most vulnerable moments in the history of the franchise. Powerful stuff. And Katie is really articulate. I just am really enjoying watching her. I think she's doing a great job. I completely agree. Loving Katie so far. And this all ends with a big group hug, but the emotions are going to continue to run high. So now it's time for Michael. And his date and his story. So Michael's wife passed away two years ago. They were together for 16 years, uh, got married in 2012. She died of breast cancer just seven months after the birth of their son. And in terms of conversation, this was one of the best dates in the history of the show. I think Michael is truly an awesome dude. He seems just extremely honest and genuine. I loved the, it doesn't end with an engagement. It begins with an engagement quote. It's so simple, but we haven't heard that said on the show before. 
Yeah, I want to apologize for the mean things I said about him on night one. If I recall, I pretty sure I said that he had a creepy smile and I'm an ugly person for saying that he's an adorable man and deserves great things in his life. I feel like what they talked about was really something special. I loved how he made sure to be like, well, I have space in my life to fall in love twice. What a blessing that is. And our relationship can be its own unique facet and I thought that was really well put and really well received. I think Katie is really into Michael. I'd say so. He asks her if he can kiss her, not being on the date with the consent thing. Very impressive. And she says, absolutely. So I do think that Katie is definitely into Michael. He ends up telling Katie the full story over dinner. And that's what you saw on Twitter on Monday night. I mean, Michael has stolen the hearts of Bachelor Nation. I, I think this is as quick as we've seen everybody kind of rally around one person. And a great job in terms of casting, putting somebody like this on the show. And it's really impressive that everybody is unified in wanting Michael to win when there are a ton of awesome dudes on this show. It's really well casted. Wow. Okay. Hot take. I don't think I want Michael to win it all. But I definitely wow. was feeling it on this date, and I see him going really far because I can tell that Katie feels very strongly for him. That's going to be a tough moment if Katie decides to send Michael home, although he could lead up to being like the best bachelor ever, you know, in terms of origin story, where he's been, what he's come from, the most well-liked bachelor of all time if he doesn't win the show. So a lot of potential here. For Michael. Okay, well said. So after Michael's emotionally crushing date, I mean, not a dry eye, not a dry eye in any house in America watching ABC Monday night, 8 to 10. We get the second mutiny, and it is formed amongst the house against, you guessed it, Thomas. Everybody hates him. Like you said, it feels like they kind of needed a villain, and Thomas made it easy for him because Thomas talks a lot. He's out there having all these conversations with all these different guys, and they all think he sounds different in every single one. And the ones that were in the circle really hate him because he didn't really read the room and he didn't tell the right traumatic story. They all confront him at once when he walks in the house. It was like Thomas walking into a household with 18 angry parents right there. Like, do you know what you did? Only one person talked, though. How'd you feel about that? Hunter is just going to have like a public sit down with Thomas right then and there. And he's like, what does he say? He says, there's a lot of back and forth and consistent smiling and it feels really fraudulent. And I feel like that is a hilarious and really accurate way to sort of sum this up. I feel like even looking um, back a little bit in the episode, like we see it in the cocktail party that Katie sits down with Thomas and she's like, because we have such limited time, what were those red flags that you said that you would talk to me about privately? Like she sort of like wants to get back to that question that he sort of dodged, I guess, during the confessional earlier. And he has nothing to say, which, you know, I kind of feel for him being put on the spot like that. I feel like, like we said, he did 
you know, give some red flags. So I don't know what she feels like she's really missing from him at this point other than his demeanor, but she's not able to really pinpoint that. And she keeps being like, I have to say, it feels like you're dodging the question. He has a lot of like fluffy words to throw in that have nothing to do with the topic at hand. And that seems to be his go-to. And in your mind, you're like, things seem to be going south for Thomas. But then she sits down with Aaron and the unthinkable happens. Oh my God, he's going to get interrupted by Thomas. Like, this is The Bachelor. I don't understand why we're acting like he's the worst villain of all time because he interrupted one time. Did you guys see Victoria Larson's season? Like, this is not grounds for dismissal. Anyway, he comes in and interrupts Aaron, and Katie likes him again. She's going to forgive him. She's like, I don't care if you're dodgy. You're also um, the hottest person here. Like, you are tall, dark, and handsome. I've had to evict all the annoying guys so far, so they should be able to deal with this one. Like, throw me a bone. And I can't really blame her. Perfectly put. And the part I want to touch on is when he was confronted about, did you think before you came here about being The Bachelor? And this reminds me a lot of what's going on in Major League Baseball right now. And I know you're not going to know what I'm talking about, but a few men that are listening to this segment will. They're punishing pitchers now. They started Monday for putting like funky illegal materials on the ball to make them spin more. And essentially, every pitcher in the MLB was doing it. Everybody's pissed about it. But the couple that have spoken out and been like, I was doing it and this is ridiculous, they're being like heavily criticized. And that's what this reminded me of. Like every guy in there, 100%, at least thought for a second, even the best ones about being The Bachelor if they didn't win this show. I don't think it makes them have ill intentions. I don't think it makes them incredibly pure as human beings either. But it's just a fact. How could you not think about that? You're going into a situation where there's 30 guys It takes some insane self-belief to think, you know what, I'm going to win. I'm not even worried about what comes after this. You have to consider the fact like, wow, if I do a really good job here, I might get to be the bachelor if I don't win. That's a pretty cool consolation prize. I'll be the biggest star in America for two months. I don't think Thomas should have said this, but for every guy in that room to be like rolling their eyes like, man, I can't believe he just said he spent a second of his life thinking about being the bachelor. That's what's fraudulent. Completely agree. And at this point, Aaron has just completely turned on Thomas. He's going around calling him a legit psychopath. He (laughs) says, I bet even his mom talks about what a big piece of shit he is. I mean, he's making pretty drastic remarks about a guy strictly because he's being honest about his intentions for being there, but still saying that once he got there, he formed genuine feelings for Katie. I mean, like, let's sue the guy. I feel like this is like the softest version of a villain we've ever had, and maybe things will escalate. I'm sure they will. But for right now, I don't hate Thomas, and I don't really understand where all of this animosity is coming from. I mean, just... Mind your own business and try to form a connection with Katie. It's really not that hard. Yeah, completely agree. That's it's how the guys are going about this season. They're just trying to pick each other off one by one based on who they don't like. And I, I, I don't know. 
I, I don't know. I understand why people maybe don't like Thomas. I do think he could have gone about all this better. I don't think that he really needed to say these things. I think most contestants, all contestants that have ever come on these shows have thought, well, if I don't win, maybe I'll be the lead on the next season. Nobody's really come out and said that, though, except for Thomas. And I think it's a little bit of stupidity. Now, I also think it's it's kind of brave and kind of cool. So I don't know. Jury's still out on Thomas because I think that Thomas has a personality that could make us in three weeks or so really regret having these takes where we're like, yeah, you know, he's not that bad. Totally. I mean, I just didn't understand why everyone was like, man, he's such a smooth talker because in my opinion, the man sucks at talking. Like that's where things go wrong. But I don't know. I mean, the jury's still out, like you said. He's still going to be around. It doesn't seem like Katie is really ready to let him go, and I think we as viewers should forgive her for that. But coming up next week, it looks like we are going to have the uh, armpit waxing segment, which they seem to be very excited about over at ABC, and uh, more Thomas drama to look forward to, and then Blake's entrance yeah, and you know, the trauma circle is going to be an infinitely more productive episode than this armpit waxing thing. I think that's very fair to say. But yeah, yeah, like him being a smooth talker, right? Like he didn't he say disingenuine on, on the show? Like he, he tried to say disingenuous. He tried to like really enhance his vocabulary, which I think when you show up at the door of the Bachelor Mansion, you have to just throw your vocabulary out the door and you have to just say right reasons every like 15th word. So, I mean, he, he tried, but he still failed. I, I, I don't know. I, I just think Thomas is kind of a normal dude who kind of just doesn't get it. You know, I think there's a big part of him, but just doesn't get it. What's okay to say what's not okay. I think uh, there's a big possibility. He's not watched much of the show before. And he's just sitting there and he's like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I'm going to let it ride. I'm going to speak my mind. But yeah, uh, to the preview, Blake is in the house. Blake, the protector of rhinos. I can't wait. I did hear, by the way, that Blake had already been there before a lot of this date was filmed. So a, a little out of order. I wonder why that is. We'll find out next week. Interesting. Well, I'm kind of glad to hear that because maybe I feel like the earlier you get there, the more minimal drama you're going to cause upon arrival. I'm sure that like this is going to be Thomas's big break. Like they needed a villain. Now they're going to have Blake. Hopefully they give Thomas a little pass, a little time to regather his thoughts and maybe think of some legitimate red flags. Yeah, I, I hope so. They Every season of this show needs a villain. I, I don't think that the fan base feels that way, but the producers absolutely feel, feel this way. And it's going to be Thomas. And I think Thomas is a good enough looking guy to where his infamy can live on for much longer than someone like Carl. I, I do think Thomas can at least get to the Elite Eight, but he's going to have to put it together. The guys are going to hate him forever. He's already lost the guys, but he hasn't lost Katie. And that's what matters on this show. Nice. Do you think that um, Carl was calling out Thomas? He was like, I just know Thomas is here for the wrong reasons. I'm just waiting for him to come forward. And things just panned out badly for Carl. 
No, I, I think Carl's prediction was just ridiculous. Like, it, it's one of those things that you say that's obviously correct. Like, I could go watch this NBA game tonight and be like, you know what? I think there's going to be a three-pointer made and then a three-pointer's made. And I'm like, look at me. I'm a genius. But I do think Carl sitting at home watching what's happening with Thomas being like, see, I told them all and they laughed at me. They dismissed me. But I still think that Carl's an idiot and he had no idea it was Thomas. Yeah. Wherever you are, Carl, shut up. No, Carl's not listening. He is speaking. Motivational speaker. I don't know how, but that's that's all I have for week three. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? No, it's all I got. All right. We will see you next week. Lexi, great job. I will talk to you soon. Bye. TTYL. Bye.